Howdy, Farmer Devin here, back with episode three of the Wyoming Agriculture Podcast. Today, we are recording on October 28th, 2020. Before we get into the show, let's get a little bit of podcast news out of the way. Since last week, I've gotten the podcast hosted on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and of course, we are still on CastBox. I've also signed up for iHeartRadio. However, they can take up to two weeks to post, so I will share on the podcast whenever I get the email that notifies me of the podcast being posted there. Now, I did not and will not be putting the show on Apple Podcasts anytime soon. It is my opinion that Apple apparently does not like content and therefore does not like money because they've made it far too difficult to publish the show um, or my content on their website. And I'm of the opinion if you want content for your platform, you should probably make it easy to publish content and not require a content producer to create multiple accounts while sending them on an endless loop of FAQ pages with absolutely no helpful information whatsoever. So Apple Podcasts can go screw. All right, well, with that rant out of the way, um, I've got a bit of thinking to do in regards to publishing today. I'm leaning towards moving the publish day towards Thursday, but I may just move my internet work schedule around a little bit to make Wednesday publish days. So if you don't see an episode until next Thursday, don't worry, I'm not pod fading on you. I'm just trying to figure out the kinks and schedule for success here. Um, with that, do you farm a ranch in Wyoming, or do you know a hardworking farmer or rancher? If so, have you thought about being on the Wyoming Agriculture Podcast? Wyoming Agriculture Podcast is all about local farmers and ranchers and sharing information with farmers and consumers across the state. That makes farming in Wyoming just a little bit easier. Getting on the podcast can expose your business to our listenership and help you move product while helping other farmers and ranchers in the state to grow and raise better products. Just something to consider if you're a farmer or rancher or work in the ag space in the state of Wyoming. Now with that, let's get into the sponsor for the show before we move on to the show. This episode brought to you by Cackleberry Farm and Garden. Are you a Wyoming resident looking for grass-fed lamb or fresh-cut microgreens? For a limited time, we even have pasture-raised chicken available. Our chicken is raised on pasture with daily moves to fresh ground. We ship in the highest quality organic and soy-free feed that utilizes the whole grain for maximum nutrition. After fermentation, this feed is offered in a highly nutritive and digestible form to our birds two to three times per day. The quality of a pasture-raised chicken from Cackleberry Farm and Garden will blow you away and you'll never want to eat stinky store-bought stuff again. Buy locally, raise pasture-raised chicken, online now at cackleberryfg.com. That's cackleberryfg.com. Alright, moving into the show, I've been thinking about today's subject a lot lately, and I hope today's show teaches you a little bit about just what is available near you in terms of resources and inspires you to think about how you can utilize the resources that are available in your area. Today we're going to be talking about tree hay using actively growing tree limbs as stored feedstuff for livestock. I made an attempt at making a, the blog a basic transcription of today's episode to make my job a little easier as a content producer and hopefully make the blog a better read. However, there will likely be a bit more subject matter in the podcast here today 
as I started this post yesterday morning. Ran out of time, had to go to work. Tried to finish it after work, but just couldn't focus. So I woke up about 3.30 this morning and I finished it off. Of course, near the end of typing it out, I was getting pretty tired, so I ended it before I spent the next six hours of my life typing. Uh, of course, that just means that there's slightly less content in the blog than there will be in the podcast here. Now, with that, I'd like to get into the main part of the episode, and then I'll probably add some musings onto it at the end here. Today on the blog, and on the podcast this week, I am going to talk about a long-forgotten agricultural technique that most Wyomingites are either entirely unaware of or are failing to utilize. That technique is making tree hay. Now, you may be asking, what is tree hay? Well, like any hay, the basic idea remains the same. It is dried plant matter that is harvested at the ideal time for drying and storing to be used for feedstock for herbivores in the times of year when actively growing pasture is less available. Now in Wyoming, of course, that would mean our long cold winters. If you're in more of a Mediterranean climate, that might mean the dry, hot summers where there's not so much green stuff. And if you're in Casper or just north of, that might mean both the winter and the summer because there's only like a month of green things. Um, Anyway, we're going to get into how tree hay might be right for you in this episode. But before we get into the episode, why might it not be right for you? And namely, that would be labor. To my knowledge, there has not been much progress made in the way of mechanization of making tree hay, which means you either would have trouble finding the time to make enough for a large flock or herd, Or you would likely find purchasing tree hay not only hard to find, but because of the scarcity, much more expensive than what you could find in terms of herbaceous or forage hays. You might also find that the leaf-to-stem ratio will leave more residue after feeding. In fact, I think it's almost a guarantee that's what you'll find. Uh, Now that can be a benefit, which we'll speak of later or it could present more labor if you have no use for the brush-like leftovers. Grass hay, being made up of annuals and short-lived perennials, can be harvested from the same field multiple times per year, with receding and irrigation helping to maintain yields. It can also be done done with uh, mechanization, large tractors, mowers, uh, rakers, all all sorts of stuff, you know, baler. Um, Whereas with tree hay, you're probably going to be doing that mostly by hand. Now, tree hay will definitely require far less management to grow, but it is best only being harvested from a tree every three to seven years, depending on tree species, management technique, and environment. And in fact, if you're out in the deserts north of Rolland, you know, it might even be a little longer than seven years between harvest. Now, the last podcast episode I recorded, we went into Wyoming's history just a little bit. And on this subject, I think it will be appropriate to get into the history of tree hay. Now, there's some evidence that tree hay has been a practice for at least 3,000 years. However, it is worth noting that there have been trunks found showing evidence of tree pollarding management dating at least 18,000 years ago. The practice is most common in Europe, where it is often still used today in rural areas of subsistence farming and traditional agriculture. Traditionally, tree hay was harvested with an axe or hatchet chopping actively growing thin limbs off at the trunk, typically at a height that either made future management more feasible or at a height that protected the new growth from browse, 
i.e. above the browse line. All of the oldest and longest lived trees, to my knowledge, have been trees that worked for a living, or in other words, were regularly pollarded, coppiced, or otherwise pruned to maintain vigorous and young growth. From this, I feel it is safe to say that pollarding trees will extend their life, yielding trees that last longer and are healthier for a longer period of time, something that is advantageous to the property owner who is growing the trees. Now why bother with tree hay? As stated earlier, grass and other herbaceous hays are much easier and likely cheaper to get a hold of, especially in our area of the world. However, there are some distinct advantages to tree hay. First and foremost, it is important to think about the nutritive qualities of one versus the other. I will preface this by saying that I am no expert in livestock nutrition. However, I'd also like to point out that oftentimes the experts are completely unaware or totally ignore traditional wisdom and practice, so I feel no shame in not being an expert. Now in discussing nutrition, let's first examine what a plant does. A plant, through the production of photosynthesis, pumps sugars into the soil in the plant's root zone. This happens all along the plant's roots, but particularly strong in the areas around the end of tiny root hairs and their interaction with the nearby soil, creating a space known as the rhizosphere. Now this sugar and now the sugar being pumped into the rhizosphere feeds bacteria and fungi that then trade vitamins, minerals, and plant-soluble nutrients back to the plant that fed them with that sugar. So plants, through photosynthesis, pump sugars into the soil and mine from the soil vitamins, minerals, and both macro and micronutrients in varying degrees. Different plants that grow roots to different, different depths mine different materials from the earth and form different arrays of these materials in the body of the plant. A plant typically has just as much or more biomass, biomass beneath the soil as it does above the soil. So for each cubic inch of plant material that you and I see, there is likely at least that much root material doing this work below the soil. Okay, so you may be saying to yourself, Devin, why the biology lesson? I thought we were talking about hay here. Well, remembering what we just said about plants, I want you to picture a grass plant in your mind's eye. Now, if you're in Wyoming, you might be picturing a plant that reaches perhaps a max height of four feet high. Now do the same for a large cottonwood tree. One of those trees that have a trunk nearly six feet in diameter with a canopy that is perhaps 100 feet in the air. As you stand below the shade of this tree and gaze skyward, you might marvel at the might and size of this tree. Now imagine all of that material extending down to the soil beneath you. Not always straight down, mind you, especially in the case of a cottonwood. But nonetheless, all that material mining the soil beneath your feet. Having that exchange of sugar for materials to build plant matter. Now which of these two plants do you think pumps more sugar into the ground? Due to the trading we spoke of earlier, which do you think acquires more vitamins and minerals? Do you think that the tree or the grass is more capable of extracting minerals that are deeper in the soil? Which might be more capable of breaking up a stone to extract minerals from that? Which plant do you think produces a more nutrient-rich leaf? Yeah, there's definitely more potential for nutrient density in tree hay. But just like regular hay, 
You've got to cut, dry, and store tree hay at the peak season for the best results. Typically, this means June, July, and August are your best months for cutting and drying your hay. Traditionally, limbs would be cut from the tree, then laid out in the shade beneath the trees for a couple of days to weeks depending on conditions, with dry, warm, and shady conditions being the best case scenario to prevent sun scald of the leaves and retain the best nutrition. Then the branches would be cut down to approximately three to five foot lengths and bundled into faggots before being stacked and stored in cool, dry environments. Sometimes even stored out in direct sunlight. Wow, um, sometimes even stored out of direct sunlight. For instance, in a shed or something of the sort. Now the important thing being that you want the leaves to be green and actively growing when removed from the tree and not yellow or brown as they are in the fall. Typically, brown leaves have already sent most of their nutrition back into the tree for the winter. Likewise, sun-scalded leaves that have turned brown from too much exposure to weather will lose some of their nutrition. Much like brown grass hay does not have as much nutrition as the green, fresh hay in the center of a bale or stack. This does leave some wiggle room, of course, to harvest your hay a little later in the season, but the best and most nutritive hay will be harvested as described above. Why else might you harvest tree hay other than livestock nutrition? Well, trees are more resilient in most climatic conditions than grasses are, with the exception of maybe fires, and may be higher yield during a drought year or a flood year that may negatively affect the yield you would get off a hay field. Just like with regenerative grazing practices, removing actively growing tree limbs will cause some root dieback in the soil, which can be used to manage and improve soil carbon, water retention, and overall soil health. This can also clear a little space in the canopy, allowing for better herbaceous growth beneath the trees for the remainder of the season, increasing the amount of overall forage on your farm during the active growing season. Of course, context is key in making the determinative determination of how and when you cut. For instance, if you are in a hot, dry, and windy environment, it may be advantageous to cut every fifth tree in a row or stand rather than cutting a whole section every five years and exposing the ground beneath that section to nearly full sun out of nowhere. Now this pollarding action, as alluded to earlier, can extend the life of trees on your property significantly by keeping a tree in a young and vigorous stage of growth, much as we are trying to do with grass, keeping it in that teenage stage, as Joel Salatin likes to refer to it. Now young and vibrant trees will work harder for your soils and will likely produce more nutrient-dense fodder than trees that are unmanaged and in a declining stage of life. Being that tree hay is not well known or widely practiced, there is room for utilizing undervalued resource for the inventive farmer or rancher. Let me give you an example. Let's say you call up a local tree company and offer a free dump site for fresh tree limbs through the months of June and July. Or let's say you give your local businessman an opportunity to capitalize on the opportunity and you offer a nominal fee for limbs during the peak season. Either way, 
If you're resourceful, you can likely get a hold of tree limbs one way or another for a better price than you would grass hay. And I know this is a little bit in contradiction to what I was saying earlier. Uh, the reason there's a bit of contradiction there, you know, one can be resourceful and offer a free location to dump things and perhaps save on some cash outlay. However, the overall cost, when you consider your labor, might be a little more than simply buying in bales of hay. And if you were to try to find someone that does this for a living, pollards and sells tree hay, one, I think it'd be very difficult or impossible to find that in Wyoming. Maybe I'm wrong. But two, I think because of the additional labor involved and the lack of mechanization, you would find that the price for these faggots of tree hay would probably be more per ton of feed quality uh, forage than you'd see for forage hay. Um, that's just my assumption there. But anyway, if you're resourceful, you might be able to get it for near free. Um, and if you're paying for it, it would probably be more expensive. Now, uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story about how I was resourceful this year and how that helped me to save a little bit of money on feed for the upcoming months. Now, around about September 7th this year, trees and other plants were all actively growing and one had been up to that point a warm early fall or late summer. Then, very suddenly, our area received about 7 to 9 inches of very heavy and wet snow overnight. This caused a lot of damage to trees in the area, tearing limbs from trunks and destroying power lines, vehicles, and other things that rested beneath the green canopy above. Over the more than 30 square miles that is the greater Casper area, thousands of trees dropped actively growing limbs during this event. Hundreds to thousands of people set about clearing their properties and entrepreneurial sorts that took the opportunity to help their neighbors solve a problem by removing limbs for them were also busy at work. Now the city dump did offer an express lane to allow people to bring all this material to the dump for free. However, there was a line, and of course the hassle of going through, that cost time. Furthermore, in our area, there is some resentment towards the city because the government-managed compost yard caused a fire that burned a significant portion of the county a few years back, causing millions of dollars of damage to local homes and businesses, and unsurprisingly, not having much repercussions for those involved. Anyway, a resourceful farmer such as yours truly saw an opportunity to help some people in the community by offering a free dump site for those limbs and simultaneously acquire some free feed stuff for my sheep over the winter. Over the course of the next couple of weeks, I had perhaps 10 cubic yards of material dropped off of my place, lending me the opportunity to not only save on feed costs, but also to experiment with tree hay over the course of the winter. A scenario I would certainly call mutually beneficial. Now, I don't actually have any trees to speak of that give me the opportunity to harvest tree hay on this property, so that gave me some access to something that I otherwise would not have access to. It also gave me a mix of species to test the waters with and learn from. The following will be some of my experience with the species I had access to, though it will not necessarily yield experience with managing the live tree as a pollarded coppiced or otherwise managed specimen. As an additional advantage for me, 
I also received a large amount of leafless limbs that varied in diameter and species to be used for various things from firewood to wood smoking chips and snow fence and hueculture material as well as raw material for woodworking projects and logs for compost yard demarcation. I found that honey locust was best stacked fresh or nearly immediately after harvest to ensure that most of the leaves stayed on the limb. Given any time to rest outside of the stack meant a significant loss of leaves due to the wind removing them. Honey locust also yielded a slight challenge in stacking due to the shape of the limbs being more gnarly, generally, and less straight. This may be less of a problem with regularly pruned specimens. However, I suspect that most of what I received was from older trees that were not pruned regularly. The sheep greatly enjoyed the honey locust, and it was likely a very high-protein feed source. My sheep also eat Russian olive lambs directly off the tree rather readily if given the opportunity, and thus they enjoyed the Russian olive. Though given the time of year, most Russian olive had a lot of unripe olives on it. This is because it was essentially harvested by the snow in September, as opposed to being cut off the tree in June or July. Now, the sheep tend not to eat so many of these, and they tend to let the birds have at them. The species also tends to be difficult to stack due to growth habits, and has the addition of small spines that make handling more of a challenge. Though I find that careful hand placement or gloves are sufficient protection from the spines, as they pose more of a scratching risk than anything. Again, I expect this species has a high protein forage. The leaves do stay on the limb much better than the honey locust. But, of course, growing them, um, if you have them already, you know, might as well use them, but get caught planting them, and supposedly that's a problem, as they're considered an invasive species. Elm was really common, as it is in the local landscape, and elm is often touted as a great fodder species for livestock and tree hay. Now, I think the main reason for this is the good leaf-to-stem ratio in the small limbs. I could also see harvest with an axe or hatchet being rather efficient with this species, is there is often a large number of small and straight limbs coming off of a given branch. Typically, they're growing in a row as well, so if you have a sharp hatchet, you could probably remove a decent amount of material rather quickly. However, the main branch itself would be best left on the tree or separated and sorted when harvesting the leaves to be used as firewood or something else. Bundling would be important as the wind readily removes elm tree elm leaves when they've dried. And also protecting the stack could be important as the antelope came in and devoured much of the elm in short old order, leaving me with pretty much no elm leaves. Elm would likely become a long-lived tree with a sturdy trunk, and I think it's a great candidate for tree hay in our area. Now, cottonwood or poplar was another common species and I think this was probably my favorite species that I received. I'm not sure how management of a cottonwood pollard would go. One sees a lot of dead cottonwoods around from poorly placed cuts, but perhaps if cut young it would pollard well or coppice well, and if you're not trying to cut through a large trunk but merely removing limbs, I suspect that it would go okay. Anyway, uh, cottonwood had large, uh, large leaves that stayed on the limb well and yielded the best leaf-to-stem ratio. I'm finding later in the year that the cottonwood leaf is staying green a little longer and seems to be pretty fresh. In my environment, I really had 
no problems with drying it, though I think that there must be some care taken when drying to prevent the leaves from matting or molding in the drying process simply because they are large, flat leaves. Um, so in, in Wyoming, I mean, that with our hot, windy, and dry environment, this isn't really an insurmountable challenge, but it might be something you consider if you're somewhere else. When dried, most specimens had relatively straight limbs, making stacking easy to accomplish and more stable. I also received some faggots of cottonwood about halfway through that made me realize just how important it is to bundle the limbs into faggots when harvesting. These faggots were much more like bales of hay when it came time to feed, drop the faggot, cut the baling twine, and walk away. They also were relatively uniform in size, shape, and weight, which would make storage over the winter easier to deal with and stacking more stable. And again, I cannot stress enough the convenience and measurability of simply feeding tree hay a faggot at a time. Now, chokecherry, willow, pine, and perhaps a few other species were received as well. The chokecherry, I didn't recognize at first, so I didn't feed that right off the bat. But as soon as I knew what it was, I had no problem offering that as a portion of the feed I give the sheep every day. Willow would likely make a good candidate due to its straight limbs and low height, making harvesting likely an efficient process. But I didn't receive enough of this to give much feedback here from personal experience. Now I've learned a few things since writing this last night as I watched a little webinar on silver pasture, one that I'll link to in the show notes. Willow is a crop that is known to have a good leaf to stem ratio and is valuable feed. Now it does have high tannin content, which can be good for discerning livestock with access to a variety of feeds. However, in high concentrations of the diet, it can cause some issues with the animal. So if you've got an animal that has simply not been exposed to a diverse environment and does not have the knowledge to select its own feed, you might want to be careful with how much willow you're feeding at a time. Now willow does tend to grow quickly in my observations, and it utilizes areas of excessive moisture and nutrition quite well. It is also easy to propagate and can be used to make a rooting hormone for other propagation work. So I'd say willow would make a solid candidate in the right location for a fodder crop. If one were to grow either tree hay or grow fresh fodder for their livestock. Black locust is another species mentioned, um, and it does indeed have a high protein content and can sometimes be referred to as the alfalfa of tree crops. Honey locust and black locust are certainly not the same, but I feel confident that they are similar in nutritive qualities. This is, of course, just a guess, but I'd imagine black locust has a little higher leaf-to-stem ratio, and perhaps is just slightly higher in protein, as I know it grows much faster, generally, and due to nitrogen fixation being a common trait among high-protein forages, this just leads me to believe that it is likely just a little bit higher in protein. Honey locust is also a tree that tends to prefer a little warmer climate and sandier soils. So though honey locust would make great firewood and woodworking material, I think that honey locust is best looked at for pod production and feeding those over the leaves. Honey locust is also a little higher in tannin, so the same warnings apply that applied with the willow. Poplar, um, I found, is also touted as a great species to work with, really backing up my experience. 
It has a large variety of species that grow in a variety of climates, from aspens of the mountain meadows to cottonwoods of the desert floodplains. The leaf to stem ratio is touted as a great benefit, as I, of course, already knew from my experience. But it is also known as a balanced feed, nutritionally speaking, with little tannins compared to willow. Now, another species often mentioned is mulberry. I have not had the pleasure of working with any mulberry. However, that is a species I look forward to gaining a relationship with in the future. Mulberry is known primarily for its digestibility, being easy enough to digest, it is often fed to monogastrics such as pigs and chickens, though typically this is done in pelletized form. Mulberry can have large leaves, so I'd imagine that it would produce a good leaf to stem ratio. Now I've heard that ash is a good species to use as well, and would fit well as a potential crop that would work well as firewood production also. Alder supposedly fixes the most nitrogen per acre of any northern climate tree, so likely a high protein there as well, but not necessarily as digestible due to the slimy or waxy leaves. Basewood would likely have a high leaf to stem ratio, and leaves are even edible by humans, so probably good digestibility. Osa's orange is definitely hardy to the area, and a historic tree that used to be consumed readily by the now extinct mastodon. If you've got some handy, it might be worth trialing. Though I don't know that I'll be planting any anytime soon, simply for that use. I've also fed a decent amount of box elder maple this year, and like the Russian olive, my specimens were quote-unquote harvested by the snowstorm in September and had some seeds on the limbs. I found that the sheep tend not to eat the seeds, but the leaves were definitely enjoyed, and the limbs were straight enough to stack well, so maples and box elders would likely be good candidates. Now, I did feed a small amount of staghorn sumac as well. This, however, had little to no leaf content by the time I got it. Um, I found that the sheep relished the lemony seeds, however, and ate them rather quickly, getting rather excited when I brought the sumac to them. Maybe there is a small chance that they planted the sumac for me while eating these, as that is how many seeds are processed. Now, I was curious to see if they ate the tips of the fuzzy limbs because of how soft uh, these limbs are compared to most trees. And while I saw some of that, it wasn't quite as much as I'd expected. It was more like if all the other leaves were gone, they'd kind of nibble at it here and there. Anyway, if you are uh, looking to trial some tree hay in one way or another, I highly, highly recommend making faggots out of the material. And here's why. When I started receiving this material, I separated out the straightish and longer pieces to put into my stacks for long-term storage. Going off of memory from my studies on tree hay in years past, these stacks were laid out approximately in 8 foot by 8 foot squares, and each course had branches laid out alternate to each other. Alternate meeting the wider and leafier sections of the branch, and the thinner main stem of the branch. Picture a long and thin triangle, if you will. And in a course, I would have one branch laid down with the wide end facing away from me, and then the next piece directly next to it would have the wide end facing towards me, and then the next one away from me, and so on and so on. And then the next course would be perpendicular to the course beneath it, basically creating a stack of about five to six feet high usually including at least 15 courses of material. 
the stack would compress as more material was stacked on top and more weight was added. The idea is to stack the material such as to allow even airflow around the leaves so they would dry out and not mold. However, you do want to protect the leaves from sun scalding in general weather, just like stacking forage hay. So you want to be careful that the stack isn't too loose. Well, anyway, I got about four or five of these stacks done, and I was pretty proud of myself. And it wasn't too long after that that Wyoming's great teacher sought to teach me the value of faggots and making stacks that were more stable, because within a couple of weeks, before I had even got through the piles of material that I had to sort, the wind toppled over my neat 8x8x6 piles into a big mess and left approximately uh, 4 foot high piles behind. Now I mentioned earlier that I had received a couple of faggots of poplar midway through this process of accepting material. Now apparently the dump has a rule that if you want your limbs to be picked up by the dump on trash day, you have to cut them to less than five foot in length and tie them together in a bundle with some twine. Essentially, the dump asks you to make faggots of the material for easing, easy handling. Well, one of my egg customers had done this prior to learning that I was accepting the material. So when he arrived to drop off limbs for me, he had already made a few faggots that were bundled up in this fashion, and I was nothing short of impressed. These faggots were quick and easy to handle, similar to small bales of hay, but a little lighter. They are quick to stack, they stacked neatly, and they fed quickly. I could grab one or two and take them to the sheep up the road, cut the twine, and call it good. Furthermore, they gave me an easy measurement to track how much I was feeding, because with the loose material, I essentially just haul branches or loose leaves and stems to the sheep and give them about how much I think they'll need for the day. It creates a daily guessing game that yields inaccurate and tough-to-measure results. So I'll say it loud and clear for the people in the back, and for my future self. When harvesting tree hay, it is absolutely best to bundle the limbs into faggots at the nearest opportunity. I would say that would be after a couple days of dry time so you're not trapping unnecessary moisture into your bundle. Bundle it into faggots. Alright, well another thing I wanted to talk about is the utility of tree hay. In permaculture, we talk a lot about stacking functions, and I think tree hay fits this model very well. In a silvopasture system, for instance, your trees would provide some light shade over your pasture, as well as some windbreak effect. This would increase moisture retention in the soil and improve animal performance. It would also make chore time a little less brutal in the hot summer months, instead of moving fencing around in the direct sun with the wind beating down on your neck you'd have a little bit of shade. Now when harvested, the root dieback feeds soil life, which not only improves your pasture for forage production, but also strengthens the trees you are harvesting from, making regrowth faster and more efficient than planting a whole new tree would be. The dried faggots, when stacked, can be stacked in a location that helps to provide shelter for livestock or a given area. For instance, if stacked upwind from a home, the stacks may provide a small benefit in reducing heating costs over the winter. Or upwind from livestock pens, it could reduce your feed needs and improve animal performance over the winter. These stacks, of course, provide a winter habitat for wild birds and rabbits, etc., which can help to improve biodiversity and overall site health. When fed, some of the small twigs and stems naturally get broken up and trampled into the ground, 
which can help to improve fungal activity in the soil. These now chewed on and broken up sticks, left over from your faggots, now have a plethora of uses after being cleaned. For instance, we are using the clean branches to develop windbreak and insulation around the chicken coop, essentially creating a buffer from the elements through a debris pile strategically placed. These sticks and branches can also be used to create debris fencing to separate paddocks, change wildlife corridors to move animals away from plantings, or to provide for a windbreak or snow fence to collect additional moisture over the winter. All of this, meanwhile, attracting small wildlife to the area for the shelter and bringing with them the nutrient load from surrounding areas. Now, one of our snow fences, we decided to build over a bed where I planted sunchokes last winter. This summer, they just didn't perform very well because even with the thick wood chip mulch, they were too dry, they were hot, and they were exposed to high heat and high winds. Now my hope is that the debris pile on top of them will provide some shelter from the sun and wind as well as structure to hold the stems up in high wind. My hope is that this will improve the sunchoke bed going into next season. Now you can use this material to build long-term time-built hueculture beds such as seen with Sean on Edible Acres and some of the builds he's done in his videos. I'll go ahead and link to some of that in the show notes. Now on the same vein, you can use the material to fill in holes in the pasture or to create what are known as debris dams. That's another thing I'll link to a video for in the show notes. But a debris dam is essentially a pile of sticks put across a draw that slows down and filters water coming down the draw, essentially pacifying floodwaters. Now of course, you can use the material as fuel wood for fast burning fires, for rocket mass heaters, or for kindling. You can also use the material to make biochar or charcoal using whichever method you choose. Now, me personally, I am partial to the cone pit method. That's another thing I learned from the Edible Acres YouTube channel. I'll link to that in the show notes. Some species, such as apple or alder, can also be valuable as smoking chips or chunks. And of course, you can use the material directly in compost piles to add aeration and structure, or you can ship the material before adding it to the pile as a carbon bulking material. And I think you would have a lot of trouble finding this many uses for forage hay. Though of course there are still a lot of uses for forage hay, it simply doesn't compare in my book. Some key takeaways here. It's best to cut your uh, material down to four to six foot lengths while green and then bundle it into faggots for easier, easier handling, feeding, and stacking, etc. Many species are acceptable as fodder, but some species are better all-around options for the farmer and his livestock. For instance, you can feed honey locusts to be sure, but it is probably a better use of your time and space to feed poplar. Now look for opportunities to utilize resources in your area that may be abundant for a time. This is the art form that all farmers face the mastery of. Now select species with a high leaf to stem ratio and high digestibility. Fast production and growth are also to great advantage. Now in a later episode, 
perhaps we'll talk more about silvopasture and why I think it is an ideal system for my area of Wyoming and perhaps many other areas as well. But for now, I hope I've given you enough information to change your perspective and see the value in tree hay and other tree-based forages. With that, let's move on to the farmer's joke of the day. What did the mama cow say to the calf? It's past your bedtime. <laughs> I'm pretty sure as I finish up this recording that it's past my bedtime. Alright, um, with that cheesy joke out of the way, as we finish up the show, I'd like to remind you that if you're interested in supporting the show, you can do that in a number of ways. First and foremost, you can subscribe to the show, and you can tell your friends. Helping to grow this show by sharing the work that we do here is one of the easiest ways to help us out. And the best part about this method is that it is completely free for you. You can also support the show financially by going to the website cackleberryfg.wixsite.com and donate directly to the show. There is a little button right up top on the homepage beneath our logo. You can click that and it will enable you to donate directly to me and to the show. Another way you can support the show is through one of our merch sites such as Zazzle or Redbubble. And you can see the links for either of those in the show notes. Now you may notice in the webpage a link for Amazon shopping. That is not yet an active affiliate link. However, it will take you to Amazon if you'd like to do any shopping. Now the reason that's not active as of yet is I have tried and failed to set up an Amazon affiliate account more than once in the past. And this time I'm going to wait until I'm confident there's enough traffic and listeners to make the minimum qualified sales through that link. So again, you can go through there and shop Amazon if you wish, um, but that is not yet an actual affiliate link. A little end of show note here. Uh, you'll notice that this episode is a little more raw with some background noise from crackling fires, roommates, things dropping, you know, stuff happened a little bit in this episode. Um, I'm just going to leave it instead of re-recording, and I'm trying to get to a place where I don't spend as much time editing. That didn't happen with this episode. There was still quite a bit of editing to do. However, in the future, um, that's definitely a goal I have in mind. Anyway, uh, another thing I wanted to add into the show notes here, near the end there, you heard me talk about using some of this brush or leftovers from the tree hay as a debris dam. little caveat with that, if you're somewhere with an actively flowing stream or you're upstream from somebody, there's definitely some liability and risk with that. Uh, brush dams, debris dams are certainly not something that uh, you want to count on during a high flood event to stay put, especially if it's just these small little limbs being piled somewhere. Uh, that being said, I tried to find the video that I had watched a number of years back in regards to debris dams that gave me this idea. It was an older video of a, I believe it was a British guy or something like that. Anyway, he was uh, showing an old debris dam that had been around for a, a good number of years and it looked to be basically a massive pile of brush uh, that was stable enough to walk on and had quite a lot of trees growing around it. I don't know if that got removed because of liability issues or something of the sort, 
However, I was unable to find it, so I just linked to another video uh, dealing with the Brie Dams. This video I linked to, the guy just basically took some stakes and essentially nailed large logs down in a stream bed to mitigate some erosion. Uh, it's not entirely what I'm talking about, but it kind of gives you the basic principle and idea. A debris dam is essentially laying debris across a ravine, draw, stream, etc. to mitigate erosion, slow and spread the water um, so that it's less damaging to the surrounding environment. And with that, I'd like to thank you again for listening to another episode of the Wyoming Agriculture Podcast. Now go on and grow on.